And what is truth is a really relevant question in our culture and in our time, even as we're in the proceedings of the, the January 6th trial and those type of things. Uh, but it's also, it was also relevant in, in Jesus's day and Jesus's time. In fact, when he was on trial himself, he was talking to Pilate and he was describing to Pilate that those are on, that are on Jesus's side are on the side of truth. And Pilate responded with that very question, what is truth? Uh, I'm sure you've noticed that depending on the types of relationships that we have, we see truth really differently. For example, if you were a Grizzlies fan and the Grizzlies lost, right? You might say, well, they lost because Ja Morant got hurt, not because the other team actually played better. Or maybe it was the ref. It was the ref's fault, right? And, and that's, why, that's why they lost. I didn't, you didn't think I'd be stepping on toes so early, right, in the, in the sermon. Uh, but we, depending on where we are, in what relationships in what connections, even in what places in the world, we see truth and talk about truth and believe what is true differently. For example, you might say, well, if I said, hey, it's, uh, it is 11 a.m. in the morning and the sun is up, you might say, well, that's true. Except that somewhere on the other side of the world, it's not 11 a.m. and the sun isn't up. And there are just a myriad of examples of how and when something is true. In fact, this sermon is titled, The Truth of Your Relationships. So sometimes even, uh, even if there is something that we think is true, but we haven't yet said it out loud, we can live as if it's not true. Think about that for a minute. That, that you can think about something, something can be inside your heart and mind that is a truth that you, you know and believe is true, but because you haven't said it or acknowledged it outside of yourself, you can actually live as if that thing isn't true. Becky and I, my wife, we celebrated our 11th year anniversary uh, the past two days, yeah. And uh, yes, it is truly a, a triumph to, to have made it 11, 11 years and three kids and all kinds of things later. And uh, it reminded me thinking about this idea of truth and, and the relational aspects of it when we got back together when we were dating. We'd been broken up for almost a year and we found ourselves on a park bench talking and I didn't know exactly where this conversation was going, but she said to me, this was the turning point of everything. She said, if you can tell me right now that you don't love me, then we can stop this conversation. And as she tells it, I was kind of huffing and puffing and you know, moving my feet around a lot. And I said, no, I can't, I can't say that. I can't say that I don't love you. I can say that I do. And in that moment, something that maybe I hadn't really, wasn't even still completely aware of, but it was in my heart and my mind, in the moment when I said that out loud, the truth of my life, it changed. It altered. 
because, not because there was some abstract truth somewhere outside of me, but because there was something inside of me that then came out in and through a relationship. So we put things into motion. We even form new things as we say things that we believe are true out loud. In, in the recovery world, this is, this is the first step in a 12-step process. It's to admit you're powerless over something, that some other thing in your life, even though the reality has long since been true that that thing you were powerless over, whether it was, it was alcohol or, or, or drugs or, or sex or something else, it's in the speaking it out loud that that truth becomes relational between you and others and God, and then it starts to shape and transform your reality. This is a common idea in the scriptures. In fact, it was part of the lectionary scriptures that we read this morning in the book of Proverbs chapter eight. I've got some of the verses up here and it says this, wisdom is speaking. So wisdom as a, as a person, as a woman is speaking out to people. And it says this, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice? And here it is in the first person. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. So there is this sense, even in the Old Testament scriptures, there was this, this understanding of wisdom as personified as something that God birthed and gave birth to simultaneously as the world was created. And this wisdom, this, this woman that was wisdom was bringing into reality as it was spoken things that had previously ceased to exist. And, and then the, the, the New Testament writers writing under the inspiration of the spirit and of the reality of the lived reality of the person of Jesus Christ wrote the first, John wrote the first couple of verses of his gospel and said this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So, I, you know, leading up to this sermon, I was just reading and, and refreshing myself on a lot of the ways that, that the Trinity is, is talked about. And, and, and the, the St. Thomas Aquinas that lived in the medieval times, he, he does a really good job of helping us to imagine some things here. And it's almost as if he, he relates it to God, and I'm going to oversimplify it, I'm going to way oversimplify it, because anytime you get into the weeds about the Trinity in preaching, it doesn't go well. I've never seen it go well. So everybody falls asleep. But that God had ideas in God's mind and then spoke those things out. And it wasn't, 
It wasn't just the imagination of God, the inside of God, that those things came to flourish and came to be what they ultimately would become, but it was in the speaking, it was in the releasing of it that generated new things and new life. It generated true things and real things in reality. This is Jesus. Jesus is like love and care and wisdom and concern for human beings in the imagination of God. And as God speaks that truth into the world, it manifests and forms something real and concrete. The person of Jesus. Wisdom, love, living among us. In fact, Jesus would say this about himself. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A person, a human being. And so we, so we realize this incredibly important idea in these texts, and as we apply them to realities, we understand it, that truth manifested into the world directly from God shows up as a person, which means, which means truth can be nothing other than relational. That it can only be understood in the passing of love and care and concern of feelings and ideas and needs between people and between God. This is uh, this is very different than what a lot of the things that we were handed, many of us, we were taught in our culture, in our society to believe that truth is something out there, it's some kind of abstract thing, and it can just be applied to things indiscriminately because it's true. But what we actually see all throughout the scriptures, especially in the person of Jesus, is that truth cannot be separated from late relationship. We've, we talked a little bit about this before, but it's, it's really inherent in so many things that we're uncovering and discovering about the universe, even that we used to think that time and space and gravity, there were these fixed laws that couldn't be uh, altered or, or uh, understood or interacted with in any other way than just one way, and that way was true. But then Einstein comes along with this theory of relativity, and he says, actually, the way you conceive of time and space is relative, is only understood in relationship to where you are. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then we look at this text this morning, and it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. But then, then it goes on and it says, of the spirit, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And then, so, so, so right there, it's already, we're, 
Jesus is saying like, I'm gonna be communicating to you, but it's gonna be by the Spirit, this Holy Spirit. And yet this Spirit, what it's gonna speak to you are the things that I've spoken with the Spirit about. So this spirit of truth that's gonna reveal all truth to you is only able to ascertain the truth through relationship, relationship. And and it doesn't stop there. In verse 15, it says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's Jesus speaking there. So then you're telling me, so then Jesus is sharing things that he has completely in common with God the Father as the physical expression of God. All things contained in God the Father is contained in Jesus. And then those things are being relationally given to us by the Spirit. This is, this is the Trinity. This is the idea of relational truth that the Bible and the things we're uncovering about the world around us is giving us. So the spirit of God will guide you into all truth, but this spirit is simply speaking the intentions and the will of Jesus, who in fact relationally shares all things with the Father. So it's a communal and relational giving and sharing and therefore and only then knowing of truth. It blew my mind. I don't know about y'all, but that, that kind of blows my mind looking at these couple of, couple of verses in scripture here in this, in this single passage. Uh, the, the church fathers and, and, the, and the people in the ancient world who were leading the church and they were trying to, after Jesus appeared on the scene and the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were trying to, and it took them hundreds of years to even make sense of just the little bit of things that he said and did that we have recorded, the little bit of, of tradition that was passed down. And, and they came up with this idea, one of the ideas to understand this relational aspect of God being three persons, but still still one God is uh, perichoresis, perichoresis, perichoresis. Try saying that with me, perichoresis. And it comes from the Greek and it means, it means rotation essentially. And it was borrowed from Greek theater actually. The way people would move in theater was a term that they use there. And another, another way of understanding it or thinking about the definition is the, the term mutual indwelling. So, so uh, the Father existing in the Son and the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit in the same way, those three things. And this term eventually became known as the divine dance by, by many theologians. This idea of rotation, this idea of moving with one another in this sort of divine circle, this divine dance. And I wanna read a quote about this idea, about the Trinity, the nature of God uh, from the uh, Catholic priest, Richard Rohr. He says this, God is not the dancer in the perichoresis, but the dance itself. God is much more a dynamic verb than a static noun. God is constant flow. You don't even need to understand it intellectually or theologically to participate in the flow of God. Why? This is me inserting because it's relational. You are already there. Within your heart, body, and mind is an implanted flow toward life, goodness, love, communion, and connection. Sin is quite simply any resistance to that flow. The Trinity is saying in the beginning is the relationship. 
That's what the scriptures was just telling us. In the beginning, what was there? It was a relationship. It was wisdom calling out. It was the word with God. Trinity is saying in the beginning is the relationship. When we start with God as relationship, we begin the spiritual journey on a very different foundation. Very different indeed. If truth is some object that we can hold and wield and smash into things with or dominate other people with, that is a very different type of reality than one in which we see here in the scriptures and in the idea that truth can only be understood, it can only produce goodness in and by and through relationship. I'm gonna come to your neighborhood a little more closely in just a moment. But in verse 15, he says that all all that the Father has is mine. And so we see that, as we said earlier, that even Jesus, Jesus is not uh, by himself or giving all of these pearls of wisdom and doing all these things, but only in and by and through the relationship with God the Father and then mediated through the Spirit. That Jesus is, as I said earlier, the Word of God and the Scripture said, made manifest. At the core of the entire universe of the cosmos is a relationship. So, there's another piece in here, right in the very first verse, that creates the tension, the friction, and the conflict with this idea. Because I'm sure you've probably thought to yourself, Maybe somebody might have to check on somebody in a minute here. Uh, I'm sure you've thought to yourself, why do people come to such different ideas about what's true? Why does, how does that happen? And how is it that I'm always the one who's right about that? Why don't they see it my way? And I think it is because of the difficulties, the inherent difficulties and rewards, the vulnerabilities and the faith that it takes to actually live in a world and a reality where truth is relational. Look at this in verse 12 here in this passage. It says, Jesus says to the disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. To bear. And then he goes on to speak of the spirit of truth, which means that there is only a certain amount of truth that we can hold at any given time. So we're being bombarded with relational truth as we walk through the world all around, all the time. And we can only handle just a little bit of it. If you think about some of the big shifts in the world in, in the ways of thinking that we've had and how terrified people were and how strongly they resisted against those ideas. Like some people thought the world was a sphere when we really know it's flat, right? That is a joke in case you don't know me very well. We, what we do is we have to spend a certain amount of our time and our energy in denial, in denial about things that are true relationally. Not me, Jamin, no, not, I, don't, I don't deny the truth in front of me. I, I, I'm a truth seeker, I go after truth. No, no, we, we all deny truth. And 
it's, it's so important in the Christian tradition that we have certain liturgies and routines around this in order to make us more susceptible to the truth getting in. And, he, and here's how it happens. At, at the core of us, one of the truest things about us that we can know for sure what's happening is what we're feeling, is what we're feeling. And I don't mean a feeling that we just call, we say it's a feeling, but it's a thought. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like this team. That's, that's, a, that's a thought. But we say, I feel like this team is not good, right? But a feeling is fear. A feeling is anger. A feeling is also guilt, a feeling that I've done something wrong. And and that's one of the things that's present in the traditions that we use as Christians to help us press through further into reality. So that's why before we take communion, we confess. We do a corporate confession. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. It is a reminder that that feeling of guilt is not something to run away from, to hide from, but instead to embrace it, to find the healing and the courage and the hope that comes from when we admit, when we step out of denial and we admit, we admit that we've done things that are wrong, that are hurtful, that are harmful to ourselves and to others. But confession can also be related to another feeling, a feeling of shame, a feeling of that I was unable to do the things that I ideally wanted to do, that I'm not the type of parent or partner or friend that I desire to be, that I'm limited, that I fell asleep and I didn't make it to the important event, or I was just too tired to, to have the patience to listen to my friend or my spouse because I had worked so hard that day and I just ran out of energy and I didn't realize it until it was too late, that, that I have this feeling of shame. So we deny certain feelings at certain times in our life in order to protect ourselves from the reality that we cannot bear. In our culture right now, it seems the most prevalent way that this is done is through a denial of the feeling of fear. The denial of fear, that our world has become so complex and so unwieldy so unable to just grasp in a simple meme as hard as people try. Just some little bite-sized little thing that we throw out there and that's gonna explain these complex and difficult struggles that we're in as a human race that we are so afraid and we're so afraid to say that we're afraid. And so what do we do instead? We, We press down, we deny the fear and we end up living in rage or anxieties or we try to control these uncontrollable things because we are in so denial of the things that we are afraid of. When we deny the truth of what we feel, when we say, I'm not afraid, I'm not guilty, I don't have shame, I'm not happy or glad about this thing. I'm not lonely. We distance ourselves from the possibility of hearing and encountering God because we're stepping away from the truest, most basic thing, not easy, but the most basic thing that's true about us that we were given to interact with the world. We, we, we discard our feelings. 
So when we say I'm not afraid and yet we rage and we just get so angry at people that disagree with us and really we're afraid. And so we get further away from our ability to interact with truth because what is truth? Truth is And what do we have to experience our relationships with? How we feel. So Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Can you imagine? Man, it'd be so frustrating. I, I remember, I don't remember the, the verse and the chapter and verse, but I remember in, in one of the gospels, the, the disciples are arguing over something or bringing something to Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, how much longer do I got to like deal with y'all? You know, he's like metting out this tiny bit of truth. And the disciples are like, ah, you know, running around with their hair on fire. And Jesus is like, I am, I am giving you the smallest amounts that I can, man. Like I'm just swimming in all this relational truth and I just have to give it to you in the, these tiny little teaspoons and you still are losing your minds because we, we're in denial. We're afraid and we're afraid that we're afraid. There is a, there's something that, there, there's a lot of different coping mechanisms we develop for our denial. One of them is fantasizing, fantasizing about some other world, some other place where the problems we have will go away and therefore we wouldn't have to feel afraid, we wouldn't have to feel fear, we wouldn't have to have vulnerability. And it can feel kind of like a warm blanket. You know, ooh, this denial feels like a nice warm blanket. Maybe that's not an appealing picture right now in Memphis, but there's a, there's a writer. She, she's, she's an expert on a lot of recovery uh, 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 ways of living and especially in, in codependent ways of living. And she, she writes about denial and, and there's a passage in this book of kind of like one day um, meditation, day, you know, one day a, a, a week meditations. It's called The Language of Letting Go. And I want to read to you what she says about denial and it's on the screen as well. She says, denial protected me from pain but it also rendered me blind to my feelings, my needs, and myself. It was like a thick blanket that covered and smothered me. Eventually, I began to recover. I had a glimpse of awareness about my pain, my feelings, my behaviors. I began to see myself and the world as we were. There was so much denial from my past that had the blanket been entirely ripped off from me, I would have died from the shock of exposure. I needed to embrace insights, remembrances, awareness, and healing gently, gradually. Life participated in this process with me. It is a gentle teacher. As I recovered, I was brought to the incidents and people I needed in order to remind me of what I was still denying, to tell me where I required more healing from my past, as I could handle these insights. That's the language of letting go, Melody Beattie. So she talks about this gentle uncovering, she said life is a gentle teacher, and we would say that God is what's behind that gentle teaching, that life being revealed in that way, that truth being revealed gently and through relationships, that Jesus says, you can only bear so much. 
but the spirit of God is coming and the spirit of God is going to guide you into all truth, not hit you with a spotlight with it all and, and, and kill you from the exposure of truth. Like that's what, that's what Moses was dealing with. He was like, God, I wanna see you, you know, back, back in, in, in the Exodus. He's like, God, I wanna see you. And God's like, hmm, uh, you can see like where I just passed by because that amount of truth right now is gonna be too much for you, man. So I'm gonna let you see where I just went. I'll let you see, see in, in the Hebrew, it says like, kind of like my backside, like me walking away, right? That's about all you can handle is God's butt, right? Can't see all God. Never thought you'd hear that in church, did you? Neither did I, so I apologize if that, if that offended anybody. That's what it says in the Hebrew though. <laughs> so he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And it reminds me of Psalm 119 that says, your word is a, is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? You ever, you ever been outside without an iPhone or, or a flashlight and just like an actual lamp, like a candle or a kerosene lamp even? You know, it gives you enough light to see where your feet are going. It gives you enough truth of your environment to, so that you don't trip over a root or a rock or something. And it sheds a tiny bit of light in front of you so you can see the next few steps ahead, but that's about all it gives you. And this is kind of like, the truth that we can get as we listen to the spirit, the spirit of truth that can guide us into all truth through relationships, through the gentle teaching of the experiences of life. If we're open to this idea, if we don't see truth as something that we can grab a hold of to whack somebody with. There are a couple of tools as we come to the end of the, the service, the sermon here, um, that I want to give you to interact with. And, you know, it takes more than just hearing about these things in a sermon to begin to put them into practice. But we have a lot of ways and tools and relationships to get involved in here if you want to go deeper in these types of things. So the question then is, if truth is relational, and I can only handle a little bit of truth at a time because I need a certain level of denial because too much will, will kill me. But the spirit of truth wants to teach me and give me what I can handle, what I can bear about truth so that I can live more fully. Then how do I engage in the relational truths of God? I'm going to give you three things. The first is a healthy expectation. Okay, so what we hear in this passage and what many of us have experienced is that if we are open to the possibility that through relationship with God and with others, and really anybody, any other human being, that the spirit of God could speak to us through them and offer us a relational truth that we were unaware of. That's the first thing is an expectation that you don't already see things like they are, that you in fact do have blind spots, that you in fact can only expect the same measure of truth as everybody else, and you've just got your lamp and your candle, and somebody else over there has their lamp or their candle, and so they might be able to see a little bit more than you can see over in their area than you can see over here. They might see a glance aside of your face that you can't see with the light of truth that you have. And so there's an expectation, not a demand, not a forcing 
of it, but an expectation that in your relationships, you could ask people questions about how they see things or how even they see you. What's it like to be with me? What's it like to be with me? That's a question, terrifying question, that you could ask to learn more relational truth. There's also your imagination. You notice earlier that I said fantasy. I talked about fantasy as a way from escaping from your feelings. So this is a little bit of a different definition I'm describing here is, is imagination, inviting God. And we've been talking a lot about this recently, but inviting God into your imagination to say, what could it look like if I pursued this path? If I pursued these relationships in this honest way, help me to think about what it could look like, what I might encounter and guide me in and through that. The difference between imagination and fantasy is imagination doesn't alleviate you from feeling things you don't wanna feel or pain. Like when you imagine, what is it really gonna look like for me to leave this job that I'm miserable in and that is not a good environment for me? Or what does it look like for me to stay in this job or in this relationship or in this city? What's it, what's it gonna look like? God help me to see the reality of it and give me strength and courage to live out of that. Let me get a taste of it in my imagination and find the courage I need from living there for a moment. And then the third thing, vision. Vision, to allow the Spirit of God and to expect the Spirit of God to give you a taste of what, where you're headed, what the goals for the future could be, the things that are beyond that job, the things that are beyond the thing you're gonna encounter that next day in that relationship that you're afraid or nervous about. But what, what could it look like five years, 10 years from now? Would you give me a taste for my community, for myself? Would you, would you be there in that with me as I admit that I'm afraid for the future and I don't know how it's all gonna work out and I want to stockpile all my things and and I want to guard myself and not be vulnerable in relationships because I'm afraid of the future. Would you give me vision? Would you, would you give me some, some hope, something that I, it, it's not in my imagination. I don't have an expectation for it. I need it to come straight from you. So if we wanna hear from God, I don't know about you, but the problem for me, wanting to hear the spirit of God is there's so many other voices in my head. And, and these are some ways through this healthy expectation, this inviting into imagination, this asking for vision that you can help try to clarify the voices in your head. It's just a start. But when, when the spirit is speaking, it's, it's not gonna move to de demand Demand others to take away your pain, to take away the feelings that you don't wanna feel. It's not an escape into fantasy when the spirit speaks, but it could be an imagination and it could be a vision of what could happen in your life that you couldn't imagine or be encouraged to believe on your own. When we listen to the spirit of truth, will come out, will come out in our lives. It will manifest things as God manifested the incarnation of Jesus Christ, facilitated in and by and through the Holy Spirit. It will, it will birth new things 
The future will cease to be perfectly predictable. I knew that was gonna happen to me. You won't be able to say that anymore when you live this way. So here's the question I wanna ask as we get ready for communion. When I was on that bench and Becky asked me that question, there was a truth inside of me and it was kind of hidden in some ways. And I wonder, is there a truth inside of you right now that you need to speak, that you need to share, that you need to, to say out loud so it can do the work that it needs to do in your life, even if you're scared? Let's pray.